Okay, thanks. Yeah, well, what are three weeks? Um, I'm not going to try to cover um, everything um, in the news. I'm going to stick to two basic um, themes. Um, the obvious one is the um, artwork um, introducing the um, online communist forum uh, this week. Yeah, and it, it, it couldn't really be anything else, could it? Uh, has to be Afghanistan. Um, I was just thinking, you know, what I was thinking um, a few weeks ago, um, say three, four weeks ago, something like that. And I would have been thinking, this is just making it up, I know, but I would have been thinking something along the lines of, well, I don't really see this regime in Kabul lasting after the United States and its allies have um, pulled out. Um, so, you know, I know that the fighting uh, season, um, you know, isn't all year round, but I'll give it until Christmas. And, uh, you know, if I um, saw headlines, you know, Kabul under siege, that would have confirmed um, my prognosis, um, i.e. Uh, that um, here's a, a modern army, very well equipped uh, with um, US hardware, supported uh, by heavy artillery, tanks, and crucially, um, air. You know? um, and on the other side, there's a, uh, a ragtag um, army, call it a militia, uh, if you want. Under normal circumstances, the odds are against the militia. Uh, they would be in favor of a standing army, crucially, as I said, uh, backed by air power. Uh, but no, um, you know, we started to hear stories, didn't we, of um, the Taliban uh, moving and units of the Afghan uh, National Army um, heading over the border to Uzbekistan or, or fleeing the border over to Pakistan. Um, so they weren't putting up any fight. That sort of didn't surprise me, but the sort of the weakness, um, you know, did a, a bit. But then we actually started to see towns uh, surrender to all intents and purposes uh, without a fight, um, with negotiations uh, between the Taliban on the one side and the existing authorities uh, on the other. And um, basically the, the local authorities were saying, you know, we don't want um, um, any civilian casualties. We don't want the damage. And um, I don't know whether the Afghan National Army under those circumstances simply fled, surrendered. Um, either way, uh, the Taliban advance was spectacular. Uh, and, you know, I'm not in receipt of, um, you know, CIA uh, reports or, uh, you know, um, intelligence uh, estimates of uh, um, the US uh, army, but it's quite obvious uh, that Joe Biden and um, the US state didn't expect uh, the speed, the complete collapse 
that we saw. Hence, um, over the last week or so, uh, the domination of headlines, you know, with desperate uh, stories of people trying to get out, of, uh, you know, interpreters, um, journalists, of US citizens, British citizens, just managing or not managing, actually, uh, as it turns out, uh, to uh, actually, um, uh, how should you put it, uh, get themselves out um, uh, of Kabul and other uh, cities. So we've had uh, the complete collapse um, of the regime uh, that the United States installed uh, after its uh, 2001 uh, invasion. And of course, we're, you know, under those circumstances, we're at least obliged to begin with to ask the obvious. Uh, and that's why. Why uh, would this large, uh, professional, British, American, NATO trained uh, army? Uh, collapse so totally and so humiliatingly? Um, I think the answer to that um, is on the one side pretty straightforward, uh, and that is uh, that Donald Trump, I'm not blaming Donald Trump for all of this, but Donald Trump was determined to get the United States out, uh, you know, from one of these uh, forever wars. Uh, and um, um, under his presidency, um, you know, U.S. representatives entered into negotiations with the Taliban. And the long and the short uh, of those negotiations were that um, um, from the American side, if you stop killing American soldiers, we will withdraw and we'll put a date uh, on our withdrawal. Uh, the Taliban agreed to that. There was another killing uh, of yet another soldier. And uh, Trump turned around and said, well, under those circumstances, we're staying. Negotiations were resumed. There's been no uh, Taliban killings uh, of U.S. soldiers, hence uh, the withdrawal date. Um, and the crucial thing to understand and I think this is, this is the key to it, uh, that on the other side, there was basically an agreement and acceptance uh, that the Taliban would be entering government. And from a Taliban point of view, the government in Kabul uh, was at the negotiating uh, table uh, in terms of uh, what are the surrender terms. That, that was basically it. Now, under those circumstances, if you're a badly paid uh, soldier, uh, would you stay and fight? Um, you know, if you're an officer, would you stay and fight against the future government? It's pretty unlikely. Well, that certainly uh, uh, turned out to be the case, that these people were not willing uh, uh, to fight. Um, they basically looked at their own government and concluded that it was corrupt, it was cowardly. Um, it had already, to all intents and purposes, surrendered. Uh, they weren't going to um, fight uh, the Taliban. Uh, they were going to do a deal with the Taliban by which the Taliban uh, would enter 
um, um, government. So under those circumstances, we saw what we saw. But I also think then we need to take another step uh, back and actually look at the US strategy um, from the beginning. Um, as you all know, um, the US um, invaded after um, um, Al-Qaeda um, attacked the US mainland and we saw um, you know, Twin Towers, uh, we saw the Pentagon, and we saw another aircraft that was, I think, meant to be destined uh, for the White House. But uh, two attacks, two successful attacks, um, two planes on the um, Twin Towers, one um, on the Pentagon, and the United States wanted revenge. But it also is the case uh, that uh, the Bush administration and those around uh, President Bush saw their opportunity, uh, that here uh, was the excuse, yeah, that they'd been waiting for, uh, because we'd seen the uh, collapse uh, of the Soviet Union in 1991. Uh, the US um, was the only uh, superpower uh, in the world. And you had, and I remember reading it uh, at the time, you know, um, thinkers around um, the project for the new American century, uh, they were quite interesting, actually. They're sort of cut above uh, the average um, think tank, um, how should you put it, um, quality. Maybe that was because of um, the background in some of them, in um, some version of Marxism. Some of them um, had a background in Shackmanism, uh, that's the uh, bureaucratic collectivist breakaway uh, from um, orthodox uh, Trotskyism. So, you know, these writers thought in historical terms, you know, you had Fukuyama, thought in historical terms, thought in terms of the big picture and, and thought that with the collapse of the Soviet Union, there was only one game in town. Uh, that was uh, neo-liberal. Uh, capitalism and that this was um, destined to spread around uh, the planet and the United States, because it was the sole superpower, had the opportunity to reorganize the planet um, to suit its interest and of particular concern uh, for the project for the new American century uh, was the Middle East. You know, um, a lot of people at the time, you know, were obsessing about oil. And I'm not saying oil is unimportant, uh, but it doesn't explain everything. It explains a lot controlling uh, the biggest source uh, of oil on the planet. So um, Saudi Arabia, for example, um, was at the time, you know, this obviously varies, but was at the time uh, the world's largest um, exporter uh, of oil uh, and then all you need then to do is add in you know Iraq Iran um, and other such countries and you get an, an enormous percentage of global gas and uh, oil production concentrated in the Middle East and these people as I said saw their opportunity uh, they send uh, US forces into Afghanistan which of course is a prelude uh, to go in, going in 
to um, Iraq. Uh, and the idea would have been uh, that you refashion Afghanistan, crucially, you refashion Iraq. Um, uh, and this becomes the model uh, that you then refashion uh, the entire Middle East around. So Syria would have been a target, but so, at least from my reading at the time, um, were the um, kingdoms of uh, the Arabian Peninsula, uh, not least Saudi Arabia um, it, itself. So this was their idea. Uh, um, and towards that end, they arrogantly thought uh, that they didn't need uh, that many um, troops. Um, I can always remember um, in terms of um, Iraq, you know, thinking that uh, it would be something along the lines of um, uh, the um, Arab-Israeli war uh, in 1967, which I sort of watched on TV um, as a young person um, who was on the right side at the time and was amazed uh, by um, the, the, the speed uh, of the Israeli uh, victory. And this was an, this was an Israel uh, that was equipped with um, French uh, technology, not yet American. It was American after uh, the Six-Day War. But six days, uh, Israel took on and took out Egypt, Jordan, and Syria, uh, and basically destroyed the air forces of those three countries on, on the ground, and then proceeded to take out the armor um, um, of those uh, countries. And of course, captured uh, the West Bank, uh, went in uh, to the Sinai uh, and took uh, the Golan Heights and annex later annexed it uh, um, um, from uh, Syria. So the speed of um, the US victory didn't surprise me. And of course, in Afghanistan, it wasn't just uh, NATO troops and NATO because it was uh, an attack on uh, the United States and uh, NATO agreement is if one is attacked, it can call upon all other NATO powers uh, to defend it. So NATO was involved way out, uh, way out from the North Atlantic right into uh, Central uh, Asia. But of course, it was an American um, operation. Um, and the Americans were operating not only with their NATO allies, uh, but allies such as the Northern Alliance um, in Afghanistan itself, that they'd uh, developed uh, relations with um, um, uh, against uh, Soviet forces and the forces of uh, the PDPA, the uh, People's Democratic Party of Afghanistan, and, and that government. In, in the period before, which I'll touch upon uh, later. Anyway, suffice to say, the US uh, goes in, uh, the Taliban uh, is uh, very quickly uh, uh, defeated. We're talking about uh, a small uh, American force, nothing like uh, the numbers that were involved in the, um, you know, um, World War II um, defeat and then occupation uh, of uh, Germany and uh, Japan. Uh, what we were talking about here uh, with the US uh, forces is going in, um, getting together uh, a government 
and basically throwing money um, um, at uh, the existing uh, power brokers and power structures uh, that existed uh, in the country. So that's crucially uh, um, um, the rural, um, you know, chiefs and um, warlords uh, and their uh, representatives um, um, in in the cities. So what we saw was a preservation of the existing social um, order and throwing money um, uh, at uh, problems and combining that not with boots on the ground, uh, but basically airstrikes. And of course, um, I myself um, cannot forget the arrogance um, of um, you know, the British army um, it was specifically assigned to Helmand uh, province in the south. And, uh, you know, the, the BBC, ITV and the usual crew uh, were following them around. And the, the basic uh, idea was uh, that Britain, because of its vast experience as a colonial power, not least uh, in that part uh, of the world with the British Empire uh, in India, knew all about the natives, knew how to rule uh, such uh, uh, primitive uh, people um, and could just basically march up and down uh, with berets. Um, and the local people would greet them as uh, liberators and uh, bringers of civilization. It's a very similar story, if you remember the nonsense about Basra, um, you know, in the south of Iraq. Um, again, the colonial power, the old colonial power goes in. Um, thinks it knows best and ends up um, taking uh, a lot of casualties and ends up basically confined to forts and being ferried in, not, not by land, but by helicopter. Uh, that's the reality um, um, of the British experience. And it was largely the experience of, of the Americans. And quite frankly, if you don't put in uh, sufficient ground forces you know, of course, you can defeat um, any force that's put up against you, but can you hold the land and can you actually win the loyalty uh, of the locals when, OK, the locals do a deal with the British Army or the American Army um, and then the Taliban come back um, later that night um, to take revenge um, on those that have done a deal? I mean, it, you, you pose it in that way and you can see why. The Taliban was successful um, and uh, those that um, um, basically were willing to do a deal with the Americans in the countryside uh, proved um, unwilling. We should also add in terms of U.S. strategy, and I'm not quite sure um, why they adopted this particular model. Maybe it's because it was um, what came natural to them, but they established a presidential system along American lines um, that basically was winner takes all, you know, like it is in America, either it's a Democrat or it's a Republican and the president wields enormous power as opposed to a parliamentary system or some federal uh, system. And it needs therefore to be emphasized, of course, that from a Marxist point of view and from, you know, um, any um, you know reasonably scholarly uh, point of view, of course, Afghanistan isn't a nation. 
it, it's a territory, it's a state, yes, uh, that's basically formed historically um, out of the clash of a spreading Russian empire coming in from the north uh, that is taking over uh, Muslim lands uh, as it moves south and British forces uh, that are determined that uh, Russia doesn't find its, um, how should you put it, place in the sun, uh, is kept out of uh, India and uh, they do a deal uh, to divide what was Persia, what is now Iran, 50-50 uh, between them. This is before, of course, Britain um, enters into an alliance with Russia and France um, against Germany in what becomes uh, World War uh, One. So, OK, what we've got in Afghanistan um, is a very, very varied uh, population. Uh, the biggest uh, nationality is Pushtan, the Pushtan population. But there are a whole number of different uh, nationalities that speak uh, radically different um, languages. We're not talking about varieties, for example, of uh, Latin. Um, you know, we are dealing with um, distinctly different languages uh, that have the same sort of difference as, uh, I don't know, um, Hungarian and Romanian or Finnish and, um, and, or, and Swedish. You know, we're, we're dealing with completely different languages. And of course, um, again, you know, having been a um, observer of uh, Afghanistan uh, for some time, not least since the 1978 revolution, I'm well aware uh, that English is often uh, the medium. This is before the Americans uh, get there, but it is often the medium uh, that local, the local elites will use with each other. So I was able, for example, um, after the um, April 1978 revolution, um, not only to rely on the BBC, which I didn't, you know, you're, you're able to read the Kabul Times. Okay, you know, that's the official government paper, but you're also able to read Calc uh, Masses, uh, the paper of the Calc wing um, of the People's Democratic Party of Afghanistan. Um, it was in English. You're able to read Parcham, uh, the paper of the, the Masses, um, no, the flag, that's right, excuse, excuse my slip, the flag uh, wing um, of that uh, party. Anyway, my main point is that it isn't a nation and what the Americans imposed on it was a presidential system, uh, which meant that the winner uh, exercised uh, enormous uh, power. And how did they exercise in reality uh, that enormous power? It wasn't because they had full control over the entire country and with local units obeying um, central authority and central laws. In the main, uh, what you had is uh, the president doing deals and doling out uh, uh, money. So this is how the president gets elected. Um, it's through corruption. How does the president continue being the president? It's through corruption. Um, you know, a simple, crude, uh, but a reasonably accurate uh, description, I think, um, of um, what the Americans uh, put in place. And therefore, 
another source of explanation of why that regime so easily and almost effort, effortlessly uh, collapsed uh, in front of the Taliban advance. Um, it, it clearly took uh, the Americans by surprise. It took me uh, by surprise. I think it took the Taliban uh, by uh, surprise. But this is another explanation of uh, why we saw what we saw. Now, of course, the Americans um, also told us that they were there for their values, uh, that they were engaged, as I've already uh, argued, in what is uh, called uh, nation building, the idea that they were just going out to get um, um, bin Laden and uh, al-Qaeda um, is a lie. Uh, they had grand ambitions, as I've argued, uh, throughout uh, the Middle East, and I've already illustrated the system that they put in place um, after uh, their victory. But of course, this also went hand in hand, uh, not with... Um, um, hash but at the triumphalism, false triumphalism of the project of the new American century. It also uh, keyed into um, feminist thought um, in the West that the reason why the Americans were there is to liberate women who had been oppressed uh, by the Taliban from their evil rule. And you, of course, you saw the tear, uh, tearful. Um, appearances of what was it, Cherry Booth and um, Hillary Clinton, uh, when they were the um, first wives of uh, Blair on the one side, obviously, and uh, President uh, Clinton um, um, on the other. So supposedly, uh, the United States was there to bring um, liberation to women. Well, there might have been, um, you know, female journalists, uh, you know, TV. Uh, presenters in Kabul. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, people did uh, go to, you know, university. There were schools, but in reality, uh, throughout the country, you certainly didn't see uh, women's uh, liberation. You saw the continuation, as I've argued, uh, of the old power structures and of the old, um, how should you put it, patriarchal uh, system. Um, 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 in the countryside, um, and that—that's simple. That's simply that. Um, okay. So at the moment, of course, the the mainstream media is concentrating um, on who's got out, who who's been forced to stay, uh, the plight of uh, interpreters, um, the plight of women uh, journalists, and I think most. Um, revoltingly of all, I um, haven't really followed it, but I can't avoid the headlines. Uh, some crazy guy who's got out of uh, Kabul, is it 150 dogs and cats? Um, this is in front of uh, the people apparently who are looking after the bloody dogs uh, and cats. I'm not quite sure what that story is about, um, but to me it's um, really, um, you know, morally, um, how should we put it, questionable, to put it mildly, um, uh, activity. And also have just been looking at, again, not bothered to read the story, uh, that the 150 dogs and cats might have to be destroyed anyway. So, but anyway, you know what the Western media is, certainly the British media is about dogs uh, and uh, uh, cats. We're supposedly a nation of animal 
uh, uh, lovers. Okay, but what none of them are going on about um, is the justification for the original uh, American uh, mission, nor the background uh, uh, to that uh, mission. And I think we really have to. I think we're obliged uh, when it comes to Afghanistan not to go back to the origins you know, of the great game or let alone Alexander the Great or whatever, whatever. Uh, but I, I do think that we do need to locate, you know, what has been going on over recent weeks in Kabul, uh, but also other parts of Afghanistan as people desperately try to get over borders. I think we do need to trace it back uh, to the overthrow of the uh, Republic um, um, in 1978 and the replacement of the Republic of Afghanistan, the sort of quasi Republican royalist uh, regime of um, Daoud um, with the People's Democratic Party of Afghanistan and the People's Republic of um, Af Afghanistan. And of course, what uh, the Americans saw at the time was their opportunity to uh, repay uh, the Soviet Union um, after the US defeat in Afghanistan. And that, as it turned out, was well-founded. Um, I think the CIA would have been reporting um, to um, various presidents that the USSR was in decline. Um, I can certainly remember um, various reports coming out showing Soviet growth rates falling, falling, falling. And later, of course, you had uh, Gorbachev, even though the country officially had uh, growth, uh, actually talking about the era of stagnation. And they weren't just talking about the politics of, um, of uh, Brezhnev, they're talking um, economics. And certainly in terms of my uh, study of the Soviet Union, uh, you know, what you had is, yeah, the production of more and more things, but also the absorption of those things into projects to build more and more things that didn't produce things, if you get the paradox. In other words, steel would be going into building a new steel plant and it wouldn't be available uh, for the production of cars or consumer uh, uh, items. So you have a sort of Oliborus, I think that's the, um, the name of the, the monster that eats its own tail. So that was what was going on um, um, in, in the Soviet Union. And so, yeah, this uh, PDPA comes to power. We don't need to go into the ins and outs of it, but in my own assessment, uh, this wasn't a Soviet operation. It wasn't welcomed uh, uh, by the Soviet Union. The preferred faction um, of uh, the Soviet Union was the Parcham faction, would have previously been in government under Daoud, and Daoud was moving um, against the PDPA, and it was the Calc wing uh, that had its uh, that moved its um, supporters in the army and air force uh, to overthrow the regime. Um, so, was this a revolution? Was it a coup? We can argue about it, but I think that uh, given the, <laughs> the nature of the party, to describe it as a military coup uh, is somewhat daft you know the vast majority of um the cabinet 
uh, under Taraki, the leader of the Calc wing of the PDPA, uh, were civilians. And more than that, the aim clearly was to establish what passed for in their minds as an example of socialism in Afghanistan. And, um, you know, um, that meant not only the nationalization of industry, but radical land reform. And they thought uh, that if they captured the cities, uh, they could take the revolution uh, to the countryside. Well, they attempted it and they weren't very successful. And one of the reasons for their lack of success, of course, uh, was that the United States and its allies started to finance and promote a counter-revolution um, in the countryside. And that very quickly provoked um, the, um, the government in Kabul, uh, given its uh, weakness in the countryside, turning um, to airstrikes or um, tank strikes um, in the countryside, not winning hearts and minds, but basically blasting to pieces their opponents, but also, of course, um, civilians. <laughs> and civilians don't like being blasted uh, to pieces. Uh, you know, their relatives tend to become very resentful uh, to those that have done it. Either way, the Americans pumped money um, into it, and so did their allies. And if you recall, if you're old enough, I cannot forget it, uh, you know, the popular culture of the time was infused um, with images of Afghanistan, and, and Hollywood films were full of it, uh, British TV series were full of it, Basically, the Mujahideen, a word that most of us hadn't heard uh, before, the Mujahideen were brave resistance fighters because, of course, the Soviet Union had intervened uh, to prop up not uh, the government of um, the Kalk wing, uh, but to depose the Kalk wing and put in the Parcham wing, uh, which would be more obedient to it and more compromising. Uh, and instead of uh, compromise, um, placating the counter-revolution, um, the counter-revolution um, was actually uh, emboldened. Either way, yeah, you had um, basically the image of these uh, Mujahideen leaders. They'd all been apparently educated in Eton and Harrow, gone to Oxford or Cambridge, spoke with a bourgeois British accent and were jolly nice chaps, except they dressed a little bit strange and had you know, wild followers. That was basically um, it. But these were brave people um, that uh, deserved support. And uh, that's what happened. Um, but of course, it wasn't just the Mujahideen, the local um, you know, feudal reactionaries um, who were supported uh, by the West. Um, what we had is the declaration of a holy war. And... Um, Saudi Arabia, in particular, financed um, an army of volunteers to go out and fight the Reds out there um, in um, Afghanistan. And that became a you know, front line of um, the Islamic values as espoused by Saudi Arabia versus the declining um, secular Reds um, of uh, the Soviet Union and, and uh, its uh, uh, empire. And hence we arrive at Bin Laden. Bin Laden was uh, someone who came from the upper echelons of the Saudi uh, ruling class. 
just next to the um, royal family uh, itself in terms of power, wealth, and status. Um, his army of volunteers, Al-Qaeda, uh, was financed from Saudi sources um, and, and armed by the United States. So when um, we saw uh, the Mujahideen uh, basically descend into civil war and with the connivance of the Pakistani secret service, the Taliban uh, coming to power, um, what we uh, saw is an existing force still given, given um, um, sanctuary uh, by the Taliban regime, but a, a force that had been promoted, uh, guarded uh, by the United States uh, 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 and its allies. And for its own reasons, uh, this uh, force turned into a Frankenstein monster. And I've already mentioned the attacks on the United States on September the 11th um, and uh, what resulted, i.e. Bush and his uh, project for New American Century um, thinkers thinking, here's their opportunity to reshape the entire uh, uh, Middle, Middle East. Okay. So it's just worthwhile uh, noting that given that we're coming up to the um, uh, anniversary of uh, 9-11, uh, that the, um, the relatives of the, the victims um, of uh, that attack say that they do not welcome the president's president, the presence of President Biden um, at their uh, memorial. Why? Why? Uh, apparently, uh, their excuse, and I think it's a pretty valid excuse, is that the full report on 9-11 and the involvement of Saudi Arabia hasn't yet been published. And I think this really does expose the hypocrisy um, of the United States, you know, about um, civilizational values and actually about the original operation, which clearly wasn't just about taking out uh, bin Laden and Al-Qaeda, but it was about, it was the opening stages of reshaping uh, the entire uh, Middle East. So whether that will be published or not, I don't know. But uh, as I said, if you look at Saudi Arabia, what's its record, for example, um, on women's rights? What's its record um, on democracy? <laughs> you ask the question, um, and you you know the answer. What we're dealing with here is a an absolutist, um, royalist uh, uh, dictatorship, and that is America's um, uh, closest ally in the Middle East, next to um, um, Israel. Okay, the Taliban are they simply a creature of Pakistan? Well, they're clearly a creature of Pakistan. Pakistan welcomes uh, the. Um, the victory um, of uh, the Taliban will view it as an extension of their power uh, uh, to the north. On the other hand, I do think it's just worthwhile thinking about, um, you know, um, you, you promote a, a particular agent and that agent turning out to have a will of its own, i.e. Uh, the promotion of the um, uh, Al-Qaeda uh, by uh, the United States. 
Um, in other words, if we look at it from um, a Taliban point of view, while they were definitively reliant on support of uh, the Pakistani Secret Service uh, originally, because it was formed uh, on Pakistani um, a territory with Pakistani permission, uh, with uh, Pakistani uh, military advisors, with Pakistani supplied military equipment, it could conceivably uh, become a problem for Pakistan. Because again, if we think about Pakistan, it isn't a nation, it's a state. It's been a very unstable state, you know, the split in terms of the country between the East and the West. Uh, but also we know that in the North of Pakistan, basically what you're dealing with there is tribal areas um, where the remit of the central authorities barely uh, reaches and precisely what the Taliban are is a Pushtan um, uh, movement and Pushtans live either side of the border. So they're the biggest uh, group in Pakistan and they're a minority in uh, they're the biggest uh, um, minority in, in Afghanistan, but they're a minority in Pakistan. I think I've got it. I think I got it right. Um, second time round. In other words, um, you could conceive of uh, a scenario where the Taliban actually developed some sort of ambitions for a greater uh, um, Pushtan, Istan, uh, that would incorporate parts of Pakistan. Meanwhile, stories about this being a great victory for China, I think are absolute rubbish. Uh, I don't think China welcomes uh, the victory of the Taliban. What they are prepared to do, though, is deal uh, with the with the Taliban. Um, they will deal with the Pakistan uh, with the Taliban uh, precisely on the basis of uh, the Taliban not uh, allowing uh, bases uh, for Uyghur separatists in China, for example. That in other words, we'll give you a road or a railway, uh, but make sure. Uh, that no um, Chinese, and I'm talking about Chinese in, in terms of the territory, Chinese terror, uh, terrorists are given um, sanctuary um, in, in Afghanistan. But I don't view it as um, a victory uh, uh, for China. Um, I certainly don't uh, buy the idea that it has been suggested to me that this was a, a devilish wheeze by Biden himself uh, that he'd done a deal with Pakistan, that if I get out of um, Afghanistan, your guys will be in power in Kabul. And then you switch from being pro-China uh, to being pro-America. This is the deal with Pakistan. I, I see no evidence of that. Uh, the humiliation for the United States is too painful. And it doesn't work out strategically, at least in my view, because uh, the biggest... Uh, um, um, rival the biggest danger uh, that Pakistan faces is not uh, uh, China, uh, it's India. And India is being courted, Modi's India is being courted uh, by Boris Johnson, of course, but most importantly, of course, by the United States. It's the United States that wants to bring India on board because it conceives of, quite rightly, uh, China uh, to be its most important uh, rival. Um, either way, uh, to me, uh, what we're dealing with here um, is uh, a Western defeat, 
we're not dealing with a a, a Chinese victory. The, the, the furthest I'm prepared to go uh, is that yes, it's a Pakistani uh, uh, victory. I, I would concede uh, that. Uh, and then what the uh, the West does about Pakistan, um, I don't know. Uh, clearly, there is a strategic uh, realignment going on, and we have Pakistan at the moment both uh, being courted um, and armed, I think, uh, by both China uh, and uh, the United States. Um, and what you've had in India is a shift away, of course, uh, from the Soviet Union, <laughs> given its collapse, uh, but a shift by India more into the orbit of uh, NATO stroke uh, the United States. OK, so that's my uh, take on um, Afghanistan. And we're now at uh, quarter to six. And I'm going to finish by dealing with uh, very quickly with the Unite election. Sharon Graham's, uh, to me, um, surprise victory. Um, I think that this will uh, come as um, a welcome um, result by Keir Starmer. It wasn't, of course, his preferred result. He would have preferred Gerald Coyne, the right-wing uh, candidate winning, uh, but it, it's infinitely preferable uh, from Starmer's point of view that Sh Sharon uh, Graham won um, uh, over the McCluskey, Steve Turner, the McCluskey uh, continuity candidate and how much of a continuity he would have been is questionable. But nonetheless, uh, Starmer will be pleased by the result. Is this a victory for the left? No, absolutely not. Is it, uh, um, is it a victory for militant trade unionism? I, I just think that that's delusional. Uh, that if you look at Sharon uh, Graham, her uh, industrial strategy has been described as leverage. This is trying to use the bourgeois media uh, to persuade bosses to be nice. And uh, quite frankly, the papers that I read uh, treat that with derision. And what a surprise. Most uh, of the bourgeois media don't take the side of trade unions. Uh, in industrial disputes, they take the side of the boss and they take the, the side of we've got to keep uh, the jobs, we've got to preserve the jobs. Um, and so that, you know, Graham hasn't presided over a, a string of stunning uh, uh, victories. This has been a period of defeat uh, for trade union strength. Uh, now, I would say that it's conceivable in the short term. Uh, that her coming in as general secretary does actually coincide uh, with um, a series of victories uh, by trade unions because the country is coming out of the uh, COVID-19 lockdown. Uh, employers are employing again and we've got Brexit. And under those circumstances, one would expect lorry drivers, um, 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 people in other uh, industries where there's a shortage of labor uh, to actually secure better pay and better conditions. And they can do that, I would argue, um, reasonably effectively um, if they've got a trade union backing them, um, as well as um, themselves organizing 
uh, themselves. But no, my argument is that this isn't a victory uh, for the left. No doubt the comrades in SWP and SPEW uh, will be delighted because here's their candidate. Well, it wasn't their candidate. Here was the candidate they backed. Why did they back Sharon uh, Graham? Because they didn't want continuity uh, with McCluskey and they have lost members and you're not losing them now, but they've lost members to the Labour Party because of Jeremy Corbyn. And of course, McCluskey, um, after a bit of hesitation, came on board with the uh, Jeremy Corbyn campaign and then defended the Corbyn uh, leadership in the civil war uh, in, in the Labour Party. And as a result of that, uh, the SWP lost members and, of course, uh, Spew's favourite project, uh, the um, Trade Union and Socialist Coalition, Tusk, um, <laughs> basically ceased to function. SWP left, um, unions left. Um, they didn't stand candidates. Uh, and when they did, they got derisory uh, results. Well, now... Um, we have Starmer, we have the purge, we should expect the purge to continue. Um, we should expect the purge to intensify. Why? Uh, because you now have the three big trade unions in Britain, the GMB, Unison, and now Unite, led by figures that are basically happy for Starmer to get on and lead the Labour Party and maybe deliver a Labour government. Uh, that will give them some concessions as compared with Boris Johnson or Theresa May's uh, Tory uh, 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 governments. And they will therefore not kick up a fuss um, if Starmer pushes home the purge, because Starmer will say, I'm in charge of the Labour Party and we've got to restore the credibility of the Labour Party. He will say in front of the electorate, but that's code word. Uh, for the bourgeois media and the bourgeoisie itself and its allies internationally. So this is code uh, for the city, code for industry, code for the bourgeois media, but also code uh, for the US State Department, uh, which didn't like and wouldn't have liked whether the government in um, Washington was red or blue, I'm talking about Democrat or Republican, wouldn't and didn't like uh, Jeremy Corbyn, his history uh, and his lack of trustworthiness. So Starmer is now safe uh, to push his offensive home to the extent that he wants to and feels he has to. And in my view, uh, what we're getting isn't um, um, Starmer conducting a civil war against the left because of the left's strength. The left isn't strong in the Labour Party. It's weak. It's extremely uh, weak. It's true that the socialist campaign group is a little bit bigger now than it was, uh, but I detect no backbone at all in the socialist campaign group. There was one MP that did have backbone and he was expelled without any protests by any of his comrades. And when we have uh, John McDonnell, the former shadow chancellor, offering solidarity to Ken Loach, that's welcome. But what about all the other thousands of others that Ken Loach says he's in solidarity with? And that's why Ken Loach was being expelled, because he refused to say sorry uh, for standing in solidarity 
with those that have been witch hunt. Why doesn't John McDonnell stand in solidarity with them? Uh, I would say, and I'm not just dealing with it uh, as a moral question. I'm using the word backbone. Yeah, sure. But the reality is uh, that the socialist campaign group and the official Labour left are tied by a thousand golden strings to the official uh, Labour right, uh, that they too are councillors. They too want to become councillors. They too want to become MPs. They too want to become ministers. They too want their ministerial cars. They too want a comfortable trade union uh, position. And one carries on uh, uh, and on. So there's money there. Uh, there's a career to pursue uh, there. And that is what the left uh, of Labour, the official Labour left, is locked into. So they might be locked off, uh, but let's not imagine if they are locked off, uh, this is because of any threat that they actually pose uh, to, to Keir Starmer. Uh, that what we're actually dealing with here is something more along the lines of uh, Neil Kinnock uh, dealing uh, with militant, um, that this is a demonstration of his power, uh, not the threat uh, of militant. Anyone who thinks that militant was just about to take over the Labour Party, I don't think militant ever did. Ted Grant didn't, you know, Peter Daft didn't. Uh, they had two and a half MPs. Wow. Um, so, no, what we're dealing with here when it comes to the outlawing of uh, law, Labour against the witch hunt and Labour in exile and uh, socialist uh, appeal is a ritualistic sacrifice. And uh, my own guess, I'm being wrong, <laughs> I was wrong about the Sharon Graham election, but my guess um, is that um, the um, speech that Starmer will give in um, Brighton um, next month um, will also contain other sacrifices sacrifices. Um, my guess is uh, that Jeremy Corbyn will never be a Labour MP again. He will not be allowed back into the Parliamentary Labour Party. What happens to the Socialist Campaign Group? I don't know, um, but I wouldn't be surprised, for example, if Momentum uh, got itself banned, not because of any activity by Momentum itself, but simply because it's well known uh, in the media. It's got an image as uh, Jeremy Corbyn's Praetorian Guard. Um, it's nothing of the sort. It's tame. It's got no independence of uh, spirit. It's got no political um, uh, ambition or, or sense uh, to it. Nevertheless, to sacrifice momentum uh, would go down very well, um, you know, with, with the ruling classes, uh, both in uh, Britain um, and uh, the United States. And just to finish, because I don't want to go on uh, too long, give it five minutes, just to report very briefly on the members meeting, all members meeting of uh, Labour Against the Witch Hunt the other day. Uh, two basic positions were presented to the membership, much expanded membership. Of course, it was a uh, a bank holiday uh, weekend. And I think a lot of the expanded membership anyway is a demonstration of solidarity. Great thing. Um, but either way, two basic positions were presented to the membership. 
won by the majority of the um, steering group in, in law, uh, which um, Labour Party Marxists supported. Basically, this is that the battle in the Labour Party is far from over. Uh, the battle in the trade unions is far from over. The purge will continue. The purge will deepen. Um, and if um, those that leave the Labour Party establish a socialist um, organization along the lines of Tusk or left unity, let alone uh, the SWP's respect, what we will be dealing with is another wasted opportunity. So by inference, um, the majority of the steering committee were basically putting forward a twin track strategy um, that fight in the Labour Party, absolutely continue, resist, resist, resist. But don't forget uh, the fight outside the Labour Party and the necessity of socialists organising as socialists on a principled basis. So the position paper put forward by the majority included the perspective or includes the perspective of transforming the Labour Party into what is called a united front of a special kind. Why special? Because it's permanent. So this is not uh, the united front as advocated by the third and fourth congresses of Comintern but much more along the lines of um, Russian Soviets. That's where the name United Front of Special Kind, a, unite, a permanent United Front comes from. I think it's Trotsky's description of Soviets. Um, it doesn't imply that everyone is nice and left wing. As was pointed out yesterday, um, the original Labour Party included the Fabians. Worthwhile pointing out, though. Uh, that while the Fabians had one automatic seat on the Labour Party National Executive Committee, the independent Labour Party had two, and the Social Democratic Federation, which was an avowedly Marxist organisation, also had two, as well as the trade unions and co-ops um, having automatic representation um, on the NEC. We call that a united front. It's a half a party, half not a party. Um, either way, uh, that is something we can fight for and uh, fight uh, for the Labour Party to be transformed into, um, 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 in other words, not only would it include the existing trade unions in Britain, but would include um, organisations who are today outside the Labour Party um, sometimes because they want to be outside the Labour Party. Of course, that's up to them. Uh, others who would welcome being in the Labour Party, or so they tell us, such as, for example, uh, Peter Taft's Socialist uh, Party in England and Wales, but also, of course, uh, the CPGB. And indeed, from a CPGB point of view, what we would argue is while we uh, in the Provisional Central Committee have the name Communist Party, there isn't a Communist Party today, there could be. It could be sizable. It could be very sizable. Uh, and only with a mass communist party is it conceivable uh, to actually win uh, the Labour Party uh, for socialism. I mean, I'm talking about real socialism, not pretend clause four uh, type socialism. Uh, the idea that some comrades have uh, that the Chatham House left this you know, collection of um, 
socialist action, the campaign uh, for Labour Party democracy, momentum, uh, socialist appeal, uh, Labour representation, um, a committee, JVL, Jewish Voice for Labour, uh, that somehow these people are persuadable and therefore moldable uh, into an instrument for socialism, uh, I think is just plain crazy. Uh, because what we're dealing with here um, um, is actually uh, the official Labour left, which I've already described, which is organically tied um, into uh, the trade union bureaucracy and actually just represents a wing of uh, the trade union bureaucracy. There's no problem in communists being in temporary alliance with all manner of different forces, including uh, in the Labour bureaucracy. But let's not imagine that the Labour bureaucracy whether in parliament, in the council chamber, in um, um, trade union headquarters and regional offices are some sort of vehicle uh, for socialism. They aren't, uh, that the trade union bureaucracy has to be overthrown and can only be overthrown uh, successfully uh, by a communist party. That would be my um, argument if we're talking about the project. Uh, for socialism. So in terms of uh, the other strategy, it was basically the game is over. Uh, we need to form um, an unspecific party. Uh, in other words, I think some horrible broad left um, uh, formation. Uh, that uh, strategy lost. It lost relatively narrowly. Uh, so the vote amongst those comrades who voted was 41 uh, for the steering committee majority position, which I've already described in some sort of detail, as against 30. And I think that that division shows you um, a, a, a body of opinion on the Labour left, across the Labour left, uh, that there's a great deal of demoralisation and confusion um, on the Labour left. Um, and I wouldn't just include um, the group that wants basically out of the Labour Party because it's over. I would also include um, um, that, you know, uh, in terms of the confused, uh, those that voted uh, for the majority uh, position as well. So you heard some sort of argument, for example, uh, that the victory of Sh uh, Sharon uh, Graham um, really was a victory for the left because she's a woman and she calls herself left wing. To me, this shows you confusion. Um, anyway, that's it. So um, I finished just slightly over uh, what I was aiming for, but uh, only by three, three minutes. So thank you.